friends, welcome to the show. Sam Rajofsky here, the What's Right program on, as per usual, 1 to 3 p.m. So as we as we sit here uh, just after 1 o'clock, uh, what is that, about 4 o'clock in Washington, D.C., there appears to be a protest. Well, protest, it is an occupation of Congress, a massive incursion of pro-Palestinian protesters who have stormed the Capitol. There are skirmishes with police. They've broken down barricades. Stop me when I, when I sound, when this all sounds familiar. Now, it's too early to tell what the Justice Department response will be to all of this. But we know that they've, they've gone into the Capitol. They interrupted a Senate proceeding. They have besieged some congressman in one of the office buildings. So this is, this is I mean, it's a, it's a serious deal. And I'm, I'm seeing video now coming out of the event as people are reporting on the scene. And it, and it definitely seems as though police officers are being assaulted. Now, I'm raising all of this because, of course, uh, it's just let me give you another example here besides... I don't know. These folks are not going to end up, none of these people are going to end up going to prison for 16 years. None of these folks will be arrested and held in solitary confinement for months on end. None of these people will experience the level of prosecutorial aggression that the January 6th protesters faced. And I say that with a fair degree of confidence because one of the stories I was uh, intending to bring to your attention today is that there was a sentencing that occurred um, earlier this morning in D.C. A guy named Douglas Mackey, I've told you about him before. He was a, he made a meme. He was a meme maker. He had an account on Twitter and he had a huge following. And he made a meme basically poking at how stupid Hillary Clinton voters uh, or, I mean, it was the premise of, of, of what, what the gag was. And he, he put out a, a meme saying, you know, you don't have to go and vote on Election Day. You can just text pound, and, and he put a number in there. Now, you're probably wondering, what in the H-E double hockey sticks? How is this guy, by the way, got sentenced today to seven months in prison. He was found guilty of election interference. They actually charged him with election interference. That's, that was his crime. Now, you're probably, if, if you're sympathetic to uh, the rule of law, let's say, and being applied to people harshly, particularly when it comes to having integrity in our elections, fine. But let me give you this little tidbit here, which I think is relevant in framing why I believe that this Justice Department serves to protect one side while going after the other. See, right in the middle of that election in 2016, there was a separate, separate meme maker on the left that put out an account was Christina Wong. Hey, Trump supporters, skip poll lines, election 2016, and text your vote. Text votes are legit. And it, that was, that it was put out there. And, and, and look, I would no, no, the answer is zero prosecution for this person. 
no arrest, no disruption. It just has got every person who has some amount of, 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 of fairness and fair play, a perspective like that, uh, this, this just doesn't make any sense. And there's an associated story today. Uh, there was a, and I had it here in my stack, so there, there was a, a, a gentleman who, well, he had, uh, he, well, he, he was, this is a contractor working for the IRS. Uh, his name is Charles Littlejohn. He's from Washington, D.C. You remember the Trump tax returns when they were leaked? That's right, when they were, wow, these, the paper, who was, was Washington Post, I think, ran the story. Nonetheless, this is the guy that leaked them. And he was not just accused of leaking President Donald Trump's tax returns, but also of stealing tax information on thousands of the wealthiest people in the U.S. And, and if you remember that rash of stories, oh, look at so-and-so, billionaire, and he's paying zero you know, dollars in tax in, in, in you know, last year. Well, those stories all came from material information that he released. Even the prosecution, the government, in this CNN.com article that I am, I am reading, even, even the government acknowledges that there were so many people affected by this guy that the prosecutors planned to create a public website to notify all the victims of any developments in the case. It's unbelievable. And yet with that, what do you think he got in terms of jail sign? Remember, remember, people who weren't even there at January 6th got charged with years in prison. 10 years, 15 years, 16. So this guy was given a sweetheart deal. He pleaded guilty to one count of disclosing tax information. His sentencing is set for January the 29th. So we have still, you know, three months or so to figure out exactly how much time he's going to get. I looked it up. I mean, he's probably going to get months. Think about that. And the government itself acknowledges that there are so many victims that they can't deal with them all individually and have to basically, you know, create a, a, a process, a system to, to be able to communicate with all of them. Now, Trump's attorney showed up, of course, representing Trump's interests here because he was the victim in this case. And uh, she called it an egregious breach. And the judge, you know, seemed to sort of nod along. Judge Anna Reyes, the federal judge overseeing this case, uh, said that, complete, that she agreed completely that anyone taking the law into their own hands is unacceptable. <laughs> I want us all to follow very closely the events happening today on the Capitol. I'm just asking you to do that. I understand that January 6th was on a day that was supposed to seal the deal for Joe Biden and his ascension to the presidency officially, right? Getting the electoral votes counted and the election certified by the Senate but, you know, the, the ultimately, the, the, the crimes charged, right? I mean, the, I predict, my prediction is that these people, these uh, mostly leftists, right, these Palestinian protesters, they're going to get charged with 
maybe some some you know civil disorder stuff there might may be trespass but the higher level charges of destruction of property and assault which i mean is on video i can see it is is not is not going to be charged ultimately and why not because again in the district of columbia the prosecutors the judges everybody they are they are yeah, the 90 Eight ninety-seven percent Democrat adherents, and and they'll and they'll look at it through that political lens. And until this gets fixed, right? Until this gets recalibrated, I don't, for lack of a better word, our faith in the criminal justice system is fundamentally flawed. Because in this country, in a larger sense, right, we as ordinary Americans, and in this I include Democrats. We as ordinary Americans, we're held, if, if we're taxpayers, if we're business owners, if we're people that have something to lose, well, we are held to an incredibly high standard. Meanwhile, the riffraff of the planet, the miscreants, the criminals, the violent felons, throw them all in there, uh, they are able to get away with things over and over again. They're able to cause great detriment to our lives. They are able to have a protection built into the system in many of these jurisdictions where you have friendly prosecutors. I bring back the memory of the gallery owner in San Francisco who's so frustrated by a serial defecator who had parked herself in front of his gallery that he hosed her off in a moment of frustration. You think at any one point the police came in and arrested this person who was smearing her crap all over the sidewalk day in and day out in front of this man's business? No. Who went to jail? The gallery owner. So we live right now beyond just the sort of macro level Republican Democrat, you know, system on the federal level, certainly the Department of Justice skewing very liberal and protecting its own and pursuing aggressively Republicans from Trump on down. Beyond just that, you have an utter and complete failing in the system of equitable justice. You have a failing in protecting the people that are damaging and destroying the stuff that we all as Americans work for and have, you know, have sacrificed to create. And if that doesn't turn around, if that doesn't change in short order, Aaron, I'm telling you, it's, it'll lead to the destruction of this country as we know it. Because at some point, people will have enough and it will transcend party lines. I, I make this absolute prediction. Eventually, run amok criminal activity will affect so many people that it will have a tremendous unifying force. And um, and I, I, I but but, you know, the, in the meantime, of course, you know, why trust the criminal justice system? Why trust law enforcement? And I feel bad, actually, for law enforcement, because traditionally their greatest source of support was not with Democrats, registered Democrats, but but enormously skewed toward Republicans, right? Republicans, obviously big supporters of cops. And now as law enforcement 
I'm saying this particularly at the federal level, but also law enforcement hamstrung at local levels by these Soros-appointed DAs, you know, start to lose the support of their very base of power and, and of support that they need. And this is, um, this, this will, it's just, I'm telling you folks, it's gonna be interesting to see how it plays out and it worries me profoundly. All right, I have to take a quick break here, but um, I will be back here on the What's Right Show. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, this hour of the program brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, 702-820-1234, the only law firm to trust for your injury needs. Don't go anywhere. The What's Right Show will be right back. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. From the Capitol Rotunda in Washington, D.C., in the nation's capital, yes, inside the Capitol building, the vaunted halls of our democracy, we have an insurrection occurring of Palestinian protesters storming Congress, refusing to leave, assaulting police officers. It's all on tape. Sam Rajovsky here, News Talk 840 KXNTI, Nevada's favorite recovering Californian. Pleased to be with you. So uh, here, here's a taste of the scene in the rotunda. They always, leftists always bring drums. Did you notice this? If they don't have drums, they bring out pots and pans. That's what they do in South America. Well, anyway, so that's that's a taste there. Then the uh, Senate proceeding uh, obviously obstructed and interfered with by protesters who began screaming. The ranking member, Republican, holding down the fort in that meeting, of course, kept his cool. This is how it sounded. Uh, 18 years ago, Israel took the brave step of dismantling uh, is, uh, Israeli settlements in Gaza, handing it ter- Eighteen years ago, Israel took a brave step of dismantling Israeli settlements in Gaza, handing the territory over to he, the Palestinians. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. He just picks up right where he left. They, 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 she goes in there, starts screaming. Uh, by the way, so, some of these people, I feel, it's really not an ideology. It might be somewhat of a mental health crisis. So at any rate, she goes in there, starts screaming, and, um, and there it is. I mean, and he just stops, waits and then immediately it resumes. Now, I can't believe that Republicans were caught so flat-footed by all of this because they didn't, no one, it seems, we'll find out, but it, nobody brought their own, you know, documentary TV crew to come film any of this. Remember, of course, Nancy Pelosi on January 6th, after calling off extra reserve forces and even National Guard for additional protection, even though she'd been warned, simultaneously invites her daughter, who is filming a documentary, a uh, documentary filmmaker, to come and memorialize the events of that day. Of course, footage from that shown in that joke of a proceeding that we had to endure with the last two years. So anyway, 
Marjorie Taylor Greene quickly grabs her cell phone and records this from her office building. Okay, so we have an insurrection happening in the Cannon Building. This is the march outside, the pro-Palestinian march going on outside, and then we have this happening inside of our building. I'm going to take you guys down so you can see what's happening on the third floor. Yeah, so she then takes people through and... I mean, it's the best she can do. She didn't have a, like I said, she didn't have a camera crew. She just has her iPhone. So getting it out there on uh, whatever this was, Facebook Live, I don't know. It, she, <laughs> look, uh, I, I want to know. This is what I want to know. I want to know how many of these insurrectionists are going to be held in solitary confinement. I want to know how many of these insurrectionists are going to be raided in the coming days, weeks, and months by FBI SWAT teams. I want to know how many of these insurrectionists are going to be deplatformed. How many of these people will lose their jobs, their livelihoods, their families over this? How many of them will get 10 plus years in prison? Look, I let me take out the old what's right crystal ball here and tell you I, I, I'm pretty confident that the number will be uh, at or near zero. So you want to talk about people, you want to talk about erosion in the faith of our democracy, which is something the left loves to talk about, right? All the talking heads on TV, they all, Republicans or Trump eroding the faith of our democracy, right? All that. And it's nonsense, because nothing is more disquieting to our notions of justice and fair play, which is the very basic basis of a self-governing, right, uh, you know, representative democracy like we have, um, than, than, than two systems of justice. And as I was saying before, yes, and it's, it's not just the way protesters' political um, – opposition is treated in this country. It is also two systems of justice for the haves and have-nots. Now, my entire life, I have been told over and over again, there are two systems of justice in this country, rich people and poor people. And, and I understand on some level that that's a fair premise, right? You have to be insane not to understand that uh, if you get charged with a crime, let's say here in Las Vegas, uh, there are lawyers you can pay tens of thousands of dollars to, hundreds of thousands of dollars to in some cases, and they will make the outcome in your case better than a public defender most of the time. I understand that. Trust me. I'm a lawyer. I get it. But it's just fascinating to me that the reaction to this, that the Socialist Marxist revolutionaries, the George Soros people, have come along and said, oh, what we're going to do, we're going to right the wrong. So we're going to let criminals who repeat, you know, repeatedly break the law, we're going to let them out of jail. We're going to open the border. We're going to turn a blind eye to shoplifting, right? We're going to just, we're, we're, we're over that, all in an effort to right things. But in the process, of course, destroying this country and certainly our sense of what is just and what is right. It's unacceptable. 
All right, quick break. I'll give you the speaker update round two of voting complete, maybe round three now coming up. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840, KXNT, The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, the only law firm to trust in Nevada and beyond because you deserve what's right. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit samandashlaw.com. All right, welcome uh, back to the program. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840, KXNT. Glad to be with you today on this Wednesday afternoon. All right, all right, all right. Um, so Jim Jordan losing votes, uh, net, net total of votes down in the second ballot. I've seen reports that the third ballot will be either later today or tomorrow. I think the disruptions, obviously, by the Hamas protesters are pushing things back a little bit. Now, uh I saw a number of conservatives say basically burn these 22 Republicans that are voting against Jim Jordan to the to the ground. And while we're at it, let's go after the original eight. So, well, what do I mean here? I, 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 the original eight, of course, is, is, you know, Nancy Mays, Matt Gates, and, and six others who, who voted against, basically voted for the ouster of Speaker McCarthy. And so there's this, well, there's this very, you know, there's a popular position here that, that all these Republicans that have destabilized the House of Representatives ought to be, ought to be done in, right? Primaried, I think, is the proper political term. Now, I, look, so they're called the original eight. Yesterday, they were called the Swamp 20. Now, I guess it's the Swamp 22. Can I tell you what my thought is on this? See, I credit the original eight for smoking out the Swamp 20. I credit Matt Gates and Nancy Mace and the six other uh, brave Republicans who voted to oust McCarthy. I credit them with now showing us the face of the Republicans in Congress who love the system as is. Somebody years ago, I don't know who this is attributed to, but they said there's really thir- three parties in, in Congress. Have you heard this, Robbie? Three parties in Congress. So you, know, you know who they are, right? Just, okay, you've got the, got the Democrats, you've got the Republicans. Who's the other one? Well, the, the Washington, D.C. joke is that the third one, they're the appropriators. Yeah, the appropriators. Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. Their primary purpose is to go to Washington and get fat off the spoils. Now, I give to you this information and, and let you know that of, the, of yesterday's, uh, what's that? Don't, don't destabilize the omnibus, <laughs> producer Robbie being telling jokes. Don't destabilize the omnibus process, right? They don't want the park to stop. Of the original 20, the Swamp 20 yesterday, voting against Jim Jordan, I think 12 of them or so were uh, you know, on the appropriations or formerly on the appropriations committee. 
Now, why is this relevant? And why, by the way, pray tell me, why is the Appropriations Committee the most coveted assignment on the Hill? Because the power comes from where the money is. And this absolutely, this kind of thinking by both Republicans and Democrats has to stop. That's the problem. Republicans can't act just like Democrats and, or, or, or be more beholden to special interests. And we heard Vivek Ramaswamy yesterday on the program here talking about this, if you missed the interview. Uh, it's on YouTube, and you can get, of course, the What's Right show wherever you get your podcasts. But uh, speaking to Ramaswamy yesterday, I mean, this is the, 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 the absolute corruption that comes from the money in D.C. Is, is staggering, and it's, it's significant. And so now we're seeing the people who are opposed to Jordan are the ones that, you know, their, their sense is that they're, I mean, their very real belief is that, that a, a Jim Jordan speaker is not going to let them get away with what Kevin McCarthy let them get away with. And so to me, the authentically conservative and all folks, I can't claim to be an authentic conservative. You know, I don't even know what that means. But for me personally, for my, my beliefs, you know, I, I want an accountable government. I want spending in check. I like and believe it would be a positive step forward for this country if we had single subject spending bills. I don't like taking a defense bill that we all agree on. Okay, we're going to spend X amount of money for the military. And everybody goes two thumbs up on that. We agree. And then sliding in there all sorts of goodies for various congressmen and senators so they can bring it back to their states and districts. Deliver bridges and infrastructure and all this. It's all fine and dandy, but you, you cannot hide Massive amounts of spending in the crevices of bills that nobody reads. This is unacceptable, and it is, it's not just a Republican-Democrat issue, but it's a right and wrong issue, no? So it really bothers me, and I think this is the, the problem ultimately of party tribalism over beliefs, over core values. Because party tribalism, that, that will always coalesce behind a McCarthy. He's our team leader don't destabilize the team he's the coach he's the quarterback whatever sports analogy you want to throw in there it, it doesn't matter it's you know he's 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 there and he's our guy and we don't want to look stupid and then there's people like me who look at it and say the team really is worthless it's meaningless if we aren't principled in our our approach to something as basic as, I don't know, holding back on spending money we don't have. I think this is a profoundly common sense uh, issue for, for me and for, for, for most of the country. I would, I, would, I would submit to you that most of the country agrees on exactly what I'm saying here. And so the rah-rah, go Republican people, the... Fox News, Brian Kilmeade, right? Brian Kilmeade, did you see this? What was it, the first vote for speaker? He yelled, he, he was caught on a hot mic, Fox News guy. You know, this is the same guy who, 
trashed Matt Gates right when he he voted for McCarthy's ouster. So this he he Brian Kilmeade gets he basically says something profane about I don't know if it was Bacon or which was one of the twenty that voted against one voted voted against Jordan. It struck me as funny. I mean, this, that's what a Republican kind of meathead guy thinks, right? Like, like, like Kilmeade. We got to support the Republican team. The team is everything. Well, no, ideas are everything. Principles are everything. And that is what this entire speaker fight is about. It's not about our team. Our team... Our team won't exist if we compromise on the most fundamental of issues, which is, you know, is, is, is financial fiscal discipline. So anyway, I submit to you that the, you know, the, the, the original, what was it? <laughs> yeah, what do they call them? They're calling them the original eight. I saw Levin do that. Levin said the original eight and the, and the swamp 20, they have to, they have to get, they, they all have to get primary. Just toss them all out for destabilizing Congress and destabilizing the Republican team. And my take on it is that I, I give credit where credit's due. I give credit to Matt Gates and the original eight for showing us exactly the true colors of the Swamp 20. Now, let me remind you, it took Kevin McCarthy 15 rounds to get the speaker's gavel. So can we all just calm our you-know-whats and wait for this process to play out? And I don't, Susie Lee, you know, our own uh, congresswoman here from Las Vegas, is writing, just doing little videos and, you know, day 10 of no speaker, day 11, right? That kind of, you know, on the dry erase board. Not helpful, Susie, doesn't matter we would, what, you guys all just supported Queen Pelosi all those years. Didn't matter what she did or did not do. Didn't matter how vile some of the stuff was that she did. You just supported her for the sake of unity. How did Nancy Pelosi represent Nevada values? That's a very real question that I have for the three Democrats representing Nevada in Congress. How did Nancy Pelosi represent us? Really, tell me. How did a San Francisco lib represent Nevada values? You come back with me with that. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. So don't give me this all, it's all for the team and for unity. And look at how unified the Democrats are. Democrats are the Democrats in Congress are, of course, they're unified. They're, they're mind-numbed. They're just, they'd follow whoever's, whatever Pied Piper sings a tune. We're Republicans. We're conservatives. We're different. Start acting like it. Jeez Louise. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law, because you deserve what's right. Sam Rajovsky here was just, during the break here, uh, got a call from a friend in D.C. who was uh, describing some of the scenes there, this this is not just some isolated small protest, folks. I mean, this is very disruptive to the Capitol. He's in politics, I'll tell you that much, and um, and he's he's um, and they're they're by the way they're marching around the Capitol yelling "Death to Jews," 
I can't wait for those videos to come out. How is any of this acceptable? Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KX Antique. I got an email. By the way, you can always reach me, Sam at SamAndAshLaw.com. I got an email here. Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, this, oh, the, 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 I'm not, apparently, comparing the events of today cannot, cannot in any way uh, be paralleled with January 6th because of the extent of hateful violence. That's the term, hateful violence that occurred on January 6th. Uh, I think the people walking around the Capitol pushing police officers and yelling death to Jews kind of falls uh, out of bounds of what we would call respectful political discourse. No? But those are the two standards, right? It's perfectly acceptable for Palestinian sympathizing, Hamas sympathizing students on college campuses to be out there pushing Jewish students, ripping up Israeli flags, intimidating uh, Jewish people out of public spaces in and around these universities, and frankly, even around public parks and streets and whatnot. That's acceptable. But man alive, if we have 10 people show up in MAGA hats, I mean, that is, that is just beyond the pale. Arrest those people. They are a threat to democracy. All right. Thank you for listening to the What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Here's another example of disappointment from our Department of Justice. Joran Vandersloot today, if that name sounds familiar, well, it's because he was, has been, a principal suspect in the disappearance of Natalie Holloway. I looked this up. That happened all the way back in 2005. Holloway was 18 years old. She was visiting the Dutch island of Aruba. That's in the Caribbean. And, uh, and she was there and went out with uh, a boy who was about the same age at the time, maybe 19, Joran Vandersloot. Which is a fabulous Dutch name, Joran Vandersloot. Anyway, they went out and, um, and she disappeared. And that was, that was the end of it. And it's been a huge missing persons case. And th there, there were ways from the very beginning, because she was a U.S. citizen, under certain international treaties to charge him with this crime or to investigate him for this crime at the very least. Um, and, and it just wasn't done. At one point in 2010, so this is 13 years ago, Vandersloot um, reached out to the family of, of, of the missing girl and said, I have information for uh, about you know where you can find her remains now if you've ever been and again I, I i have not so i can't speak to this but i'm trying to put myself in the place of beth holloway who was the mother natalie holloway and i'm thinking you know it, the the worst part almost is you cannot fully grieve the loss of your child because you don't you don't you don't have a, a funeral you don't have closure right and if you're a parent in that position what wouldn't you pay money to know and so this despicable 
Cretan psycho, who, by the way, was convicted of murdering another girlfriend of his uh, in, in, in um, I think it happened in Peru. Regardless, he, um, he actually contacts Beth Holloway, her, her representative, and says for $250,000, I will tell you where your daughter's body is. Okay. So then the FBI gets involved. She actually wires over $15,000. They give him, her investigator gives him $10,000 cash. So he now makes away with $25,000 and comes up with a bogus, a bogus reason. So some, you know, it's, oh, she's, she's buried under a house. Well, the house wasn't even built at the time of her disappearance. So, that it was, you know, he, he basically then gets charged with, with but it took him 13 years. What the hell was our Justice Department doing for 13 years? They sat on this, and it's despicable. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm at, I'm at, I'm at, yeah, he was, he's in, he's serving a, was serving a sentence in Peru, and, and they, they extradited him to the U.S. to face these charges, and finally were brought, but I, I just, I don't understand what the Department of Justice was doing here. They had him on tape saying, I know where, I know where Natalie's body is. Here, pay me, pay me 250K. They had the evidence. So today in court, as part of his guilty plea, he also uh, admitted to being the one who killed Natalie Holloway. So, I, you know, it's, it's this is just an absolutely heartbreaking story. And if you, you know, those of you who, some of you followed this pretty closely, uh, you know that this 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 is something that ought to have been charged far earlier. And guess what kind of a sentence the judge gave him? Federal court judge gives him a concurrent sentence that can be served alongside his conviction for murder in Peru. So I think this guy can get out of jail, worst case scenario, in like 2038. Where is... Where's the death penalty when you need it? And, and, and for all those people out there who argue against it, right? Somebody who, and he's made two confessions now for two different murders. I mean, I would, I just, I, I, I don't even know. Why waste air on this planet on this guy? I mean, just firing squad tomorrow, end it. Unbelievably sad case. I it just absolutely maddening, maddening, Robbie. I tell you, I, it 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 just it, it gets me. All right, I need to address something, folks. Here at the top of the hour, that's important. A lot of you listening, you you've you've done well in life, and and when I say done well, you've you've chosen a career, you've worked hard, you've you've managed to, uh, you know, build a a a family. Uh, you know, young people today are completely lost. And what it's, you know, what happens is, is that the internet ends up making fun of them, which isn't entirely fair because no one, not parents, not teachers, not career counselors, certainly not professors at universities, no one in the average kid's life is there to say, this is how you succeed. In fact, in fact, I'll tell you, I think that the fundamental failing right now of our schools, when we talk about all the woke stuff, 
it's not just the indoctrination. It's giving students zero life skills and appreciation for what it takes to be successful in life. And, 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 I, and I don't mean, you know, wealthy. I'm talking about success. What's success? Being independent, being happy, working hard, building a family. And they are told almost exactly the opposite of this. There's a clip of a young woman complaining about how bad her life is because she went to college and now can't find a job. Wait till you hear about the details of this. You, need, you, you want to listen to this next segment because I, I mean, this for every young person out there who is going through school and figuring things out, this is a must, must hear. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law because you deserve what's right. If you've been in an accident, there's no reason to call a sleazy lawyer. It's not just about the settlement check. It's about representing your interests and your values. So call Sam and Ash at 702-820-1234 or visit samandashlaw.com. Nevada's favorite recovering Californian I, Sam Rajofsky here, host of the What's Right Show. Pleased to be with you this Wednesday afternoon. Now, I... I probably will share this with you here shortly, the clip that is circulating on social media, sort of a a viral clip of a young, I would describe her as attractive gal who claims to be, what, 25 and is dismayed by her, uh, her career, her lack of career options, right? That's the, that's the very premise of it. She's, yeah, she's, Look, she's, uh, and, uh, well, well, let me just, why don't I play the clip? Let me play the clip because it really frames the next part of what I want, how I want to respond to this. And before I play the clip, though, let me just say, I, I think I know for a fact in my experience as a hiring manager at my business, I, I know for a fact that her uh, I guess beliefs that she is saying here, her complaints are not unique. A number of young people have come in through my doors in the interview process straight out of college with precisely this exact same attitude. And I know also that those of you out there who have small businesses, hire for bigger businesses, whatever it is, those of you out there who are familiar with the job market and have any positions that are open and available to people straight out of college, you have heard precisely the same exact mentality, uh, no doubt, in your office mid-interview. So here it is. This is, uh, we'll call her, we don't know her name, uh, but she is venting, as is the fashion now, uh, for the world to hear on TikTok. She's complaining about her horrible life and how difficult it is for her to get the career that she believes she's entitled to. I have a bone to pick with America! So I'm headed to my serving job. I f***ing hate it. Be why I make more money serving. I have my literal business marketing degree that put me in a cute $80,000 in debt. And I make more serving sushi rolls because I've was i been applying to marketing jobs for weeks now. And 
and the, the pay cut is insane. Insane. But the jobs that are like a cute 150 to 200,000 a year, I'm not getting those. I'm a 20, almost 25 year old, my birthday soon, almost 25 year old chick going against, you know, corporate ass America, people with so much experience. All I got is my degree. You know, people say, get your degree, but then they don't talk about how you need experience. The degree was the experience. Oh my gosh. I hope everybody uh, who is hiring for marketing professionals in the country has seen this video uh, and will avoid this entitled person like the plague. But I want to unpackage this because there's there's some important takeaways here. Number one, experience is everything, and a college degree increasingly is worth absolutely nothing. And this, by the way, has always been the case. The college degree was was, was meant as an as an as an entree, as a as a well as as proof that you're able to navigate through a series of hoops, that you got some form of book training. But I can think of no job in my lifetime that took somebody with a degree and 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 immediately, you know, walking in the door, you get a huge sum of money. The exception, perhaps, uh, would be, uh, you know, the the professions, right? So you have you have lawyers, for example, who, you know, in order to be a lawyer, you need to have gone and gotten your your doctorate, your juris doctorate, and then you need to pass a bar exam. And at that point, yes, I can tell you, some people I know are walking into two hundred thousand. $250,000 jobs potentially if they come from a good school and they haven't signed a letter supporting Hamas. So there's that. But for everyone else, school is not the experience. There's no job in marketing. And I operate a marketing law firm. I know marketing. I understand marketing. I understand how agencies work. I have an ad agency. I have, I know people in the space. And everybody's texting me about this clip as it goes viral because we're all laughing at this poor, unfortunate person for thinking that going to school automatically qualifies her for a $200,000 a year job. But let's dig even further. It is a tale as old as time, particularly for young, attractive women, that serving in restaurants, in bars, will make a lot of money. And I'm going to say something here for which I might get in trouble for, but I'm, I'm saying it because it's the gosh dang truth. It doesn't last because your looks don't last, right? There's only so long that you are able to work in a bar and show cleavage and get guys to give you big tips. There's only so long that you want to work weekends and late nights. There's only so long that you you want to be on your feet for an entire shift. And the thing about serving, and it's, you know, certainly the tips can be extraordinary depending on the place you work at. I understand how people get stuck in that rut. Young people get get lured in because suddenly they're making 
you know, $1,000 a week or whatever it is, maybe more. I know folks here in Vegas, particularly working at certain places, high-end places, and make, they, they make an incredible living. But it's a, it's a rough life. And most people do not last in the industry their entire professional lives. It just is not, it's sort of a, 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 a young person's paradise in a sense, all right? And so I, have, I cannot tell you how many people I have had come in and interview with me. And for example, I'll have a, in, in my firm, you know, we have attorneys and then the attorneys have support staff and the support staff, I'll be perfectly honest with you, are, you know, a trained person that knows what they're doing and is in legal support is to me as valuable, if not more valuable than an attorney. And if you're a client, for example, of, of my firm, you're interacting with the lawyer, but you're also interacting with the, with the support staff, with the whole team. And these are the people that are, you know, talking to you every day and taking care of what you need have done, and they're phenomenally competent, okay? But it, it took training for them to get there. My, uh, my, my support staff, you know, some of them, a lot of them, no, I'll say a lot of them make more money than the average lawyer in, in, you know, in, in, other, in other firms. They're very well paid. Now, how do you get there? You get there by starting in an entry-level position. You get there by taking a job and learning the basics, being an assistant. And after a year or two, you can move up. And then, you know, a year or two later, you, you, you become a senior case manager, a client success coordinator is what we call them. And, and you have, you know, you, that's a career position. What it is, is it's a pay cut from serving. And a lot of people, what they will do, unlike this crazy gal, what they'll do is they'll continue serving a little on weekends and then build their week job, their weekday job. They'll, they'll work hard, apply themselves, and, and build up their, I'm going to use the word now, their experience so they can level up. And that's how they work themselves into a six-figure job and transitioning out of a dead-end career like food service. And I'm, I'm sorry, but that's, if you want to make $200,000 a year like this lady does, your future is not in, in, in service. It's not. Very few people can pull off that kind, of, that kind of life. And besides, she didn't want to go into food service. She got a marketing degree. And there's no doubt that there are $200,000 marketing positions out there available in this country. Plenty of them. But nobody hires anybody for that kind of money without them having proven themselves and being able to accomplish something. You need a resume. And it's no surprise that the resume, a resume, school, I don't even look at the school. It doesn't even matter to me. If I'm hiring somebody in marketing, the school is irrelevant. I want to see where they've been. What have they done? Who's, who's taught them, right, in the real world? That matters to me. This blows my mind completely, folks. I, I'm, and the problem is, and I got to take a quick break, but the problem is, is how young people are taught from a very early age that, that if you just go and check all the boxes, you will get X. 
And it is such a scam. Folks, I can tell you this right now. It is a scam. And we need to stop lying to young people because this girl wasn't smart enough to figure it out on her own. And now she's getting hit with reality. She's got lots of college debt. And, um, and, and, and she's, she's serving up sushi rolls because she's making more money doing that than taking an entry-level job in the field that she wants to be in. Crazy stuff. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show, brought to you by Sam and Ash Injury Law. Welcome back. You're listening to The What's Right Show, your place for common sense conservatism. Now, we're talking about entitled young people who think they're going to breeze into a $200,000 a year job right out of college uh, and are mad that employers are telling them, hey, you need experience. And they're like, well, wow, I went to school. This is my experience. It reminds me, if I can permit me to tell you a story. So when I went to I went to law school late. What I mean by late, I went to law school, I started law school at 31, which is about nine, 10 years later than most of my classmates uh, did, right? So most of my classmates started college at 17, 18, did three to four years, and then, you know, being eager beavers, they got right in and, and went to law school. So they, a lot of these kids that I was in class with, I was 31. I had two kids already, a third, let's see, a third on the way at the time, second year of law school, we, we had our, our, our youngest. And I was, you know, I already was established. I already had started a business. I was an executive at a law firm. I was the uh, chief operating officer of a very successful law firm. And I, and I said, you know, I just don't, I don't want to be here in an executive role forever. I want to be a, a lawyer and I eventually want to be a partner. So I, I, I got to do this. I got to go to law school. So I did. And again, most of the people there had never filed the tax return, had gone, you know, from, from high school to, to college to, to law school, you know, no knock on that, but it's, but that's the mentality that they had. And I remember sitting in a group of students at some point somewhere and maybe a, a class discussion. And it was, it was my third year. So law school is three years. You're, um, what is, what's, there's like a saying, the first year in law school, they, they scare you to death. Second year, they work you to death because there really is a lot, of, a lot of homework, a lot of classes, a lot of weighty material. And the third year, they bore you to death. And, um, and I think that's pretty true. So my, my third year, I'm, I'm sitting there and, and everybody's talking about two things. They're not, they're not concerned about school anymore. Nobody gives a rip about school. Everybody is sitting there and they're talking about uh, the bar exam. That's a big topic because everybody's terrified of having to take this awful test. Uh, and I got to take it both here uh, in Nevada, also in California. So I got to do that more times than I wanted to. And then um, so they're talking about that. And then they're also talking about jobs. That's the big thing. And that's relevant to our discussion here because I really tried to fly under the radar at my, my, my law school. I did really until maybe my third year. I, I was very quiet in class. I just wanted to come in, get my degree, go back to my, my job because I, had a, I was working full time, and, and then and, and just get through as, you know, as with – and see my kids once in a while. 
And I, these kids in this, we're starting to talk with these students and everybody starts bringing up jobs and, and, and everybody there is complaining about career services, that they're not getting them any interviews. And they were just complaining and complaining to career services. We pay all this money in tuition and they can't even get us a freaking job. And I just looked at these people and I, I forget what I said. I said, what are, well, I think I said something to the effect or asked, what are you doing to get a job? This is on you. What, what, what do you think that is career services somehow responsible for delivering you a career? You think you're entitled to that? Where's your hustle? And I wasn't about to flex on them, but I, I literally helped build the law firm that I was working at so that I would have a job, a legal job to go to after I went to law school. I literally built the firm that then later employed me as a lawyer. You want to talk about maybe a little bit of, uh, of, of, of doing things backwards, but in a way that, that helps create value for, for you as an individual. This, is, this to me was, it was, it was a no-brainer. I, I didn't want to invest money, and I paid for my law school mostly out of pocket. Took some, some loans, I think, the second year, but, but then I, I, first year I, I paid for it in cash. And that was expensive. I wasn't about to put down tens of thousands of dollars all in. I think my education was about, well, it was about 100 grand or so, I think, back then. I wasn't going to pay that and not have an absolutely certified plan of how I was going to make a lot of money coming out of law school. No way, no how. And so the greater problem, right, one, I think, that where young people are told at every turn, if you just go through the, the motions, if you check the boxes, you will get X, right? And all these schools court people and take their money on the basis of promising them a deliverable at the end, which is a, a career. And that is the biggest lie ever told. You and you only are going to deliver a career for yourself. And those of you listening right now that have done this and lived this, you're nodding, you know, and, and, and you agree with me. And, and this is the most important thing that we need to tell our kids, our grandkids. If you have an opportunity to volunteer at a high school to come in for career day, do it. Please do it. The kids at career day need to hear from actual people that have had careers outside of being teachers, no knock on teachers, right? But they need to hear from people who work in areas that they might are thinking about working in in the future. And one of the things we have to tell young people today is that the system, the system is broken and it's on you and you only to succeed. You're not owed anything, right? You're not owed anything by anybody else. And this, this to me is just such a fundamental thing. So I, um, and, and then the other, I'll, yeah, Robbie, you're right. You're absolutely right. Do the skills that you gain in college outweigh the indoctrination? Because right now I would, I would almost prefer to have somebody 
uh, in my office working as an admin, working as a, a support, legal support that I've trained up who is competent and hasn't been to a college that, for example, seems to be on the side of, of Hamas terrorism and, you know, this weird gender stuff. No thanks. I'd rather take somebody who has, you know, worked in a, a family business and then had a few other jobs that have demonstrated a, a work ethic that I know uh, I can leverage to make that person be a productive, you know, part of my company. So it's, you know, the, the, I think what you're seeing here is you're seeing late stage college education. I think it's starting to implode on itself. All, the, all these very wealthy people who are bailing in their support of, of Ivy League schools and, and famous you know, schools, institutions out there, I think this is the tip of the iceberg, and it's crumbling before our very eyes. Sam Rajofsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. I'll talk to you a little bit about the New York Times and mainstream journalism when we come back. Don't go anywhere. Personal injury law is constantly changing. Uber and Lyft accidents aren't like other cases, but most law firms haven't kept up. Don't trust a new case to a lawyer who's stuck in the past. Call Sam and Ash, 702-820-1234, or visit SamAndAshLaw.com. Hello, friends, and welcome to the What's Right Show. Thank you for listening. Great to have you with us. Sam Rajovsky here, rarely wrong, always right, reporting for duty. And listen, speaking of me being rarely wrong, I predicted uh, when RFK Jr. entered the race or switched his affiliation, he's been in the race for a while here, uh, vying first to be the Democratic nominee for president, looking to beat out Joe Biden, when he realized that that was a futile uh, effort, he has switched his affiliation to independent and has declared himself uh, a third-party candidate. Now, at the time this news came out, I told you this was a net-net benefit to Donald Trump, or, or I would say to basically any Republican running. Now a poll has come out. Let's see, this came out yesterday, I believe. A NewsHour Marist poll says, uh, not so fast, Sam. 37%, Trump's support drops to 30%, 7%, 16% for Kennedy, and Biden wins the election with 44%. That's with 3% of voters undecided. So the takeaway, of course, is that as of this particular poll, the entrance of Robert F. Kennedy Jr. as a third-party candidate helps Biden. Now, I still think this is not the case or not going to be the case. Today, the New York Post is reporting that RFK Jr. has come out for reparations. That's right. He's going to support reparations. See, trying to explain this to people, including my wife, who actually really likes RFK Jr. Uh, I'm telling you, the thing here is that RFK is a major liberal. He's just, he, he might be right about vaccines. He's right about his suspicions of the government. He's right about a, a, a few conservative issues. But the more that comes out about his view, he is to the left of Biden on some stuff. 
So will he pick up some Trump supporters that vote for Trump, uh, you know, are looking for a disruptor candidate, right? An anti-establishment candidate and, 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 and are not necessarily keen on Trump. Are those votes going to go to RFK? Yes. But I could see RFK Jr. peeling off a lot of President Biden's support. And I'll tell you one clear way he'll do it is if you see Biden today in Israel, I mean, you know, I look, I appreciate his words of support for Israel, but he is absolutely taking a dump on the left wing of the Democratic Party right now. President Biden is giving unequivocal support to Israel. He's out there. Well, he's he's holding, by the way, a big just announced. I saw this pop up here a moment ago. Uh, he's going to address the nation from the Oval Office at 8 p.m. tomorrow. So this is, you know, presidential address, not a not a press conference, but a real like, you know, staring into the teleprompter and 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 trying to keep the drool from. Well, I'm just, you know, I'm telling you, I saw him with with Netanyahu today in Israel, and it was not good. Absolutely horrifying. Uh, so but by the way, speaking of that in Israel, and I'm going to get to folks, I'm going to get to the New York Times and the mainstream media reaction because this all ties into the situation on the ground there. So here's Biden in the meeting with Netanyahu. He's sitting down. The two of them are having a conversation like this is not a speech. And he holds, he has those giant note cards. He, he is reading from note cards. Listen. Today I'm also announcing $100 million in new U.S. funding for humanitarian assistance in both Gaza and the West Bank. This money will support more than 1 million displaced and conflict-affected Palestinians, including emergency needs in Gaza. No, 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 no. We do not want any money coming from the United States to Gaza. Dear God, no, stop. By the way, I, I heard him say that, and I said, well, I hope... I mean, he can pull it out of a slush fund somewhere or military spending. I don't know where he can find it somewhere. But uh, I saw somebody say, well, um, well, it's too bad that can't happen because there's no speaker. And I thought, so great that we don't have Kevin McCarthy in office. He'd probably give it to him. This is this is what I'm talking about. We cannot have Republicans in Congress just rubber stamp this kind of spending. What the hell? Talk about doubling down on a bad investment. You want to give more money to Gaza after you've given them way too much money, which, of course, all got funneled to Hamas. And, you know, Hamas, uh, Palestinian activists out there saying, oh, well, you know, Gaza doesn't have any water and Gaza doesn't have medical supplies and Gaza doesn't have this, that, and the other. You know what Gaza has? They have a hell ton of rockets. That's what they do have. Kind of funny how uh, they always manage to have money for that. So that takes me, of course, now to the evolving headlines here as it becomes painfully obvious that, one, it was not an IDF Israeli missile that struck the hospital in Gaza. Two, the missile that struck the hospital came from a Hamas or a uh, other terrorist group operating inside Palestine came from the Palestinian side. There's intercepted audio of the militants talking amongst themselves and admitting to the fact that it 
it does not look like Israeli shrapnel, that it looks like one of their own. It's kind of a God be with us, you know, whoopsie daisy kind of thing. And then finally, the missile that supposedly hit a hospital and killed 500 people that we've been in histrionics over for the past 48 hours, it wasn't a hospital, it was the parking lot. And now there are pictures emerging, you know, the day after of, of, of the building intact and and, you know, it seems, um, you know, it seems that this was all, all just a bunch of hooey. So how does stuff like this spread? Oh, it happens when CNN listens to influencers. Unbelievable. One last thing I have yeah. to ask you about yeah. the hospital. There have been a lot of, uh, there's been a lot of confusion. We cannot obviously verify it ourselves. Israel has come out with some information saying, look, we have proof. But you did have someone who is a reservist uh, who went online. He's also an influencer. He went online and he made these statements that basically Israel had bombed this hospital because there were, as he put it, Hamas terrorists inside. He then took that down. That went all over the world. Is he right? Is that true? And how do you prove otherwise? Um, well, it was not true. So here is uh, Israeli Prime Minister spokeswoman Tal Heinrich uh, responding to Sarah Sidner on CNN this morning. So I'm not personally familiar with this specific reservist and, and, and the comment that he made and what he posted, what he took down. But um, first, um, there is an abundance of evidence that Israel was not behind that strike, that it was a missile that fell short inside the Gaza Strip. The U.S. president just confirmed that based on the evidence that we have shown him. Uh, and also there is an abundance of, of other evidence, including videos and, and, and this um, phone call between Hamas militants that was intercepted in which they basically admit that it wasn't it wasn't us. Um, so there's no doubt about that. But it is very concerning uh, that there is some, you know, disinformation out there. And we have to be very, very accurate when we address such issues because it, it, it can cost lives. And the Palestinians knew this. And yet they were the ones that, of course, went out and blamed it on Israel. And our mainstream media parroted everything. The first headline for this in the New York Times was Israeli strike kills hundreds in hospital, Palestinians say. The second headline, minutes later, at least 500 dead in strike on Gaza hospital. Palestinians say now at least we've removed the allegation that the strike came from Israel. And then finally, at least 500 dead in blast at Gaza hospital, Palestinians say. And, um, and, and th th look, this is... And, and, and at no point, I don't even know if they've updated the death toll, but the death toll has been exaggerated. This was yesterday on MSNBC parroting, parroting Hamas propaganda, which is, of course, what I'd expect from MSNBC. But it's despicable because this information is spreading, of course, like wildfire, and it's inflaming tensions at home and abroad. The Palestinian health ministry is saying a hospital in Gaza City in the northern end of Gaza has taken a direct hit from an Israeli airstrike. They are saying hundreds, at minimum 300 people, have been killed in this strike. Now, we have not yet heard any comments about this allegation from the Israeli military, but these images that are coming out of Gaza City are absolutely Absolutely harrowing. Um, the Palestinian president, the head of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank, has declared three days of mourning. He says all flags will be lowered to half staff because of the scale of the loss of life. The Palestinians are calling this a massacre. Yeah. Oh boy. On MSNBC, 
And then last night on Jeremy Bash, you know, it turns out that, uh, you know, do we trust Hamas on this stuff? Hmm. Now, to Ben's point, the reaction on the Arab street is a critical factor that's playing out at this hour. But why was there this reaction on the Arab street? It's because for some reason, the news media ran out there and took the word lock, stock and barrel of a Hamas ministry spokesperson. And of course, it was an Israeli airstrike before there was any evidence. Now, I agree at this hour, we don't know. The IDF has put out a radar track showing that the missile from Islamic Jihad flew right over the hospital. They also say that there's a SIGIN intercept of Islamic Jihad fighters talking about firing this rocket. So we don't have the evidence. And I take the point earlier, we may never know. But the fact that it was reported breathlessly, word for word from Hamas, which obviously has no credibility. I mean, they told your they told Richard Engel they'd release the hostages if there was no airstrikes within one hour. Your reporter just gave a set of piece in which she said there's been no airstrikes here for three hours. So where are the hostages? They're nowhere to be found. Now this all of this is total nonsense. And the same people that recorded themselves killing men, women, children, grandparents, animals on GoPro cameras going door to door, Israeli towns, villages, putting it up on the internet for the world to see, and then days later denying having ever done that are now making these kind of statements and the media is buying it up, lock, stock, and barrel. You know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of, and I have to take a quick break, it reminds me of absolutely... Here in this country, you make a cry of racism, a cry, an accusation. It runs like wildfire, unchecked. And then what? The retraction? <laughs> Doesn't even matter because the damage has been done. Absolutely disgusting. These people sicken me. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT. You're listening to The What's Right Show. The source of anti-Israel propaganda in this country, I think, can be traced to our nation's colleges. Uh, Not to return to the point of colleges per se, but just again to remind all of us what a absolute hotbed of revolutionary fervor you can find across this country, not just in Ivy League schools, but everywhere uh, in all institutions, most institutions of higher Learning. Sam Rajovsky, News Talk 840 KXNT, you're listening to The What's Right Show. Now, I'll tell you, uh, well, let me just give you some updates. The, the radicals continue to spew absolute bigotry on college campuses un, unabated. Here is a speaker uh, during uh, UPenn's basically day-long celebration of anti-Semitism. This was on Monday. Uh, And you'd hear something like this. Imagine being a a Jewish student at this university. I also want to talk about this whole lie about innocent civilians. This is ridiculous. Under international law, anyone who forms a settler colony is, is putting forward an act of war against the collective population. Therefore, all settlers and all settlements are legitimate military targets and they will be targeted until the time in which one state, a plurinational, secular, and socialist state is formed on Palestine. And you can either live there in peace or you can go back to Moscow and Brooklyn and Shad and f***ing Berlin where you came from. Oh my gosh. 
Now, I want to point something. Then they're chanting from the river to the sea, meaning wanting to expel Jews from, from Israel. But can I point something out in all of this? Listen to the substance of what is being said. So for a minute, pray. Uh, I pray that you can kind of dispense with the, with the vitriol and just set that aside, not dispense with it, just set it aside and look at what the, what the actual message is. It is okay to shoot and kill colonizers. Now, if you sat this speaker at UPenn down and asked him who all he defined as colonizers, I'm fairly certain that he would include you and me. Let me say that again. I'm fairly certain that you and I are colonizers according to the, the perception definition of these radicals. This is... Those of you who are comforting yourselves and thinking that this is just a kind of Palestine J- Jewish thing and whatever, I'm not going to deal with it because I don't know anything about that and I don't want to get involved. It sounds complicated, right? Uh, but they, they, this is, this is, they view us as the colonizers. Now, ironically, Islam is a colonizing religion which I think nobody wants to admit. They're perfectly fine taking over the planet. That's okay, building mosques and the like. They put up a a huge fight about religious discrimination in jurisdictions and in in countries that refuse. Uh, The building of mosques, specifically mosques with minarets, et cetera, they don't, you know, this is, it's a, it's, I know it doesn't make sense. But white people in America are perceived to be colonizers by the radical left. They say that. They have been saying that for my entire life. And this is, you know, I mean, now it's just important to pay attention. So I'm putting that there for a moment. The stuff, by the way, at UPenn has gotten so bad that the rhino of rhinos, John Hutzman, his former governor of Utah, also served as ambassador to China, uh, he um, he's the head of his charity, the Huntsman Foundation. He's a very wealthy uh, billionaire, right? A petrochemical company, and uh, he wrote uh, a letter to UPenn's president Liz McGill, saying that his uh, family fo- foundation is pulling their uh, support. They're not giving any future donations, saying that the school has become almost unrecognizable. Quote: Moral relativism has fueled the university's race to the bottom and sadly now has reached a point where remaining impartial is no longer an option. Now, Jordan Peterson, I want to say this because it's important. Jordan Peterson, the psychologist and uh, uh, really philosopher uh, from, from Canada, you know, he has this thing. He goes up, he t- talks about the, the lessons of the Holocaust, right? What is the lesson of the Holocaust? Because we're taught, I have been taught my entire life, to never forget. That's the tagline for the legacy of the Holocaust, never forget. But what's the real lesson, right? What are we supposed to never forget? Is it just the atrocities? And, you know, his, his answer is, uh, and, and I, I tend to agree with him, is that the lesson is that, that, that you and I, 
right? Maybe not us specifically, but but we collectively as as mankind that we are we are Nazis potentially, right? We are we do have the ability to do it all over again. And maybe not as active participants, but as people who have stayed silent as race targeting and bigotry has taken hold. You know, my and it's it's a small thing, but I was amazed during COVID how few people refused to stand up. I was amazed by how few people refused to say no to the vaccine, decided to take something just to go to a, you know, to an NBA game or to a, a football game or whatever. I was amazed by how many people just went along with it. And I was even more amazed how many people willingly became enforcers of total nonsense. They didn't think about it. They just loved wagging their finger and telling people, you're bad, you're, don't do it. My father and I years ago visited Mauthausen, which is a concentration camp uh, in Germany. And um, we, you know, there's a, a very famous spot there, the Parachuters Leap um, the Stone Quarry. And, and there's the steps, and it's a very famous spot. And just as we left those steps, we drove past houses that have been there forever and there's old people living in those houses these are people that witnessed it did they say anything probably not folks the time is now to say something we are surrounded by out of control bigotry and this kind of anti-semitism cannot cannot stand take a stand be brave Be someone your children and your grandchildren can be proud of. I'll see you tomorrow.